am Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. We are in our series on navigating modern Christianity, and we've been talking about how to handle the things we see in the church and in Christians' lives that bother us or don't seem biblical, and how do we handle the error that is creeping into the church and all of the confusion that is out there in modern Christianity. So if you haven't caught the first few episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to those as you're able. Also, I wanted to let you know that there are only a couple of weeks left to take advantage of our early bird pricing for our 2024 Set Apart Conference. It's happening June 7th through 9th in Colorado or anywhere via simulcast. So excited about this year's theme. He is experiencing the extraordinary reality of Jesus so that we take the knowledge of Christ from beyond just knowing that he's our savior to understanding who he wants to be as a close, intimate, personal friend, comforter, counselor, healer, refiner, etc. in our daily lives. So I hope you can join us. Just go to setapart.org and click on events or click the link in this podcast description. This week in our series on navigating modern Christianity, I would like to talk about the dangers of spiritual pride. How do we respond to error that we see in Christianity in a truly God-honoring way? And in our last episode, we talked about how to recognize subtle lies, because so often lies are blended with truth, so they can be very hard to see. But as we grow in our discernment and our understanding of biblical truth, we begin to recognize error a lot quicker than when we're really ignorant of the word of God. And as we start to recognize error, how do we handle that? It's really important that we take a strong stand for the gospel and for the protection of the word of God. And we don't allow on our watch error and lies to take over Christianity. But in the process, there are two really critical factors that we need to consider. The first is, is this error central to the protection of the gospel of Christ Or is it a side issue, a peripheral issue, or maybe a personal opinion? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And second, are we responding to the error that we see in a truly Christ-like and God-honoring way? Now, responding to error and lies and false doctrine in the church is a very sticky subject. A lot of people that I have seen who try to blow the whistle on what they see as false doctrine are not at all Christ-like, and they have often confuse discernment with a critical spirit, and what they do is divide the body of Christ. I've also seen Christians become hypercritical and nitpicky toward other Christians simply because they don't agree with personal decisions or personal priorities in that person's life, but they aren't issues that are truly central to the gospel. Hypercritical Christians often believe they're walking in godly discernment, but what they're actually doing is walking in spiritual pride. This only causes division, and it is never at a to the body. So for example, some Christians have very strong convictions about things like maybe homeschooling versus Christian school or public school, or maybe dressing a specific way, and they make those things division points in the body of Christ. We need to understand that different Christians have different convictions. We are all a work in progress, being continually refined and directed by God's Spirit, and we are not all going to have the same opinions about exactly how to live out our faith in these more peripheral issues because God works uniquely and creatively in each of our lives. Now, he never violates his nature, of course, but for one family, he may clearly call them to homeschool, and for another family, he may clearly call them to enroll their children in some kind of a school 
obedience and honoring him is what matters. And these are not issues we should be dividing over or separating from other Christians over because they're peripheral issues. Or you take the issue of modesty. Modesty is certainly a biblical principle and it shouldn't be taken lightly, but modesty goes a lot deeper than just a specific style of clothing. One pastor that we know told us that after spending time in a specific circle of Christians who wore very modest clothing on the outside, the women were actually among the most immodest that he had ever met. And that's because modesty is a heart issue and not just a style issue. And yet these Christians were dividing with other Christians over a style issue. And then, of course, you have the stories of tribal groups around the world who have spent generations being controlled by superstition and Stone Age customs. And usually those tribal groups wear no clothing at all. And you hear these stories that when they encounter the gospel and they understand who Christ is and they're transformed, they begin to see the value of clothing and modesty. But their modesty standards might be totally different than someone in the Western world because they're coming from a place of never wearing any clothing at all. So even a little bit of clothing to them is extremely modest. So it just depends on the situation and obedience is what matters. These are just two important issues that we need to work through and of course get God's heart for, but they are not issues to divide over or criticize others for. One of the main red flags that spiritual pride is at work is when someone is willing to criticize or nitpick a brother or sister in Christ over non-central issues. There was a situation that my husband Eric faced in the past with someone who accused him and criticized him pretty harshly over issues that were simply differences of opinions and personality, definitely not something to nitpick or judge another Christian. And Eric walked away not feeling strengthened or edified because he wasn't encountering that healthy principle in the Bible of iron sharpening iron, but he was encountering a critical spirit. It's so important that we never confuse discernment with a critical spirit. If you have a critical spirit, you will not be able to make an impact on those you are seeking to influence towards truth. Maybe you desire to see someone in your life make changes to the lifestyle they are living. Even though maybe their decisions are not central to the gospel, well, they're things that you feel strongly about, and they might even be burdens that God has given you. Maybe someone in your life is watching movies that you think are too worldly. Maybe they're sending their kids to public school and you really think that they should be homeschooling. Maybe you don't think their political views are correct, or maybe they're not as committed in their Christian walk as you feel that they should be. And sometimes the burdens that you feel towards others, like I said, are real and they're from God. But as Oswald Chambers once said, God never gives us discernment so that we can criticize, but so that we can and intercede. Prayer and love and kindness and grace and living out a consistent example will often cause those people to want to seek you out and ask you questions about your choices. And that opens the door for you to share what God has done in that area of your life. That will actually influence someone to consider another perspective. But nitpicking, criticizing, and judgmental attitudes towards others never will change them. The problem with spiritual pride is that we are often blind to it. There is such a danger in thinking highly of our opinions and looking down our noses on other Christians, thinking that we're fighting on God's side when all we're doing is dividing the body of Christ and discouraging or accusing others. And so often we actually can work in cooperation with the enemy and become a tool in the enemy's hands when we host a critical spirit and have a judgmental, nitpicky attitude towards other believers, especially over issues that are not central to the gospel. We shouldn't be thinking too highly of our own opinions. We should 
always think highly of the word of God and stand on the word of God, but we need to recognize that our perspective is only valuable as it lines up with the word of God. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And that's a pretty strong statement. In Proverbs 3, 7, he says, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. And Paul says in Romans 12, 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So obviously, spiritual pride, being wise in our own eyes, is not something to take lightly. It is absolutely critical that we walk in humility and we understand the difference between true godly discernment and a prideful, critical spirit, because it is easy to get the two mixed up. One thing that is super helpful with avoiding a critical spirit or a prideful attitude is to recognize that every bit of our understanding, every bit of our grasp of truth has come from the Spirit of God. We don't have some special ability or brilliance that other people don't have just because we might have a grip on aspects of the gospel that maybe other people aren't seeing. We have that because God has given it to us and we need to walk in humility. It should never be our desire when we are asking God to give us awareness or discernment toward error in the body of Christ to divide the body of Christ or to bring discord or disunity under the banner of fighting for the truth because again, that so often is working in cooperation with the enemy and not the spirit of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If our motive is love and unity within the body, if we walk in humility and gentleness and long suffering, we will avoid that pitfall of spiritual pride. And let's not forget that the purpose of pinpointing false doctrine or error in the body is to lovingly remove stumbling blocks that stand in the way of our relationship with Christ and our ability to showcase his light and his love to this world through our lives. It's not just to win an argument or win a debate. When you encounter differences of opinions or even subtle errors in the church that are not central to protecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, this usually calls for importunate prayer, personal reevaluation, and possibly loving appeals if it's appropriate and within our jurisdiction. Now, jurisdiction means that you have a place to speak into another person's life. You've been given that position in the church or in a family type of setup. And if it's not your jurisdiction, meaning you haven't really been given a position to speak into someone's life, maybe you don't know them well, or you haven't been invited into that place, then prayer, importunate prayer and dealing with with your own soul is where you should land. If it is in your jurisdiction, if you do have a place and a position to speak into someone's life, then making a loving appeal after you've laid the foundation with prayer instead of harsh criticism is always the way to go. And I've done other episodes on making a godly appeal, but it's basically going to someone in love, pointing out truth and asking if they're willing to consider walking a different way, but it's not done in a high and mighty attitude. Now, some errors that we see in the body of Christ 
Christ might necessitate us stepping back or stepping away from a particular group of believers, especially if it's having a negative influence on our relationship with Christ or it's warping our understanding of the truth. But there's a big difference in stepping away from something like that quietly and respectfully or blowing the whistle in a loud and dramatic way and causing division and suspicion and gossiping about the situation and pulling other people into your frustrations, etc. We can do the right thing in the wrong way, and when we do, it always leads to harm and not to good. Now, what should we as believers be willing to divide over? Because there are all sorts of stories, important moments throughout Christian history where Christians did divide with other Christians over central issues to the gospel and protecting the truth. When is it appropriate to divide from the body or to call out other believers? I believe it's when they are presenting another gospel than what the Bible teaches. And we see this in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, where Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Another gospel basically means finding salvation and life and hope in anything outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you look at Paul in the way that he conducted his ministry among the churches, what was the thing that he emphasized in the gospel that he brought to the early church? It's summed up in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And all throughout the New Testament, you see Paul continually pointing us back to Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when other religions are being blended with Christianity, when the God of the Bible is being questioned or diminished, when a different gospel than what is in the word of God is preached, that is worth dividing over. And again, you'll see some of the great reformations in history have been when Christians have been willing to give their lives to protect the purity of the gospel of Christ and the truth of the word of God. But even in these situations, we must be sure that we are dividing over an issue worth dividing over, and that when someone is preaching another gospel, we still need to conduct ourselves in a Christ-like way. Amy Carmichael's rule of thumb when she was burdened or unhappy with something that she saw in another believer's life was this, silence, unless it was for the protection of another soul. Then she knew she had to speak up. And that's a great rule of thumb for the more subtle errors or peripheral issues that we might see in believers' lives. If it's for the protection of another person's soul, there might be a time and a place to speak and to call something out. But a lot of times God is calling us to intercede and to wrestle in prayer for that situation rather than rush into it with our brilliant debate skills. What about more subtle errors when believers are, maybe they're still preaching the gospel, but they're emphasizing side issues or they're ignoring key truths in scripture. I can say that in 14 years of leading Ellerslie, our discipleship training program, with all of the different believers that have come through this program and all the different backgrounds they come from, that is one thing that is a very common theme, that maybe they're in a church that isn't necessarily grossly off track, but they are emphasizing issues or they're ignoring key truths in scripture. How do we respond? 
Jesus said that we must first remove the log from our own eye before we can clearly see to remove the speck from someone else's eye. So the first step in handling error that we see in the church or in the lives of other believers is to tend to our own soul before we rush out to correct someone else. Here are a few practicals that have helped me in this area. I remember when I was in my late teens, there was another girl who was in my church who asked me one time why I wasn't dating around the way all the other Christians that she knew were dating around. And instead of just humbly talking about what God had done in my life and why I had made some of those decisions personally, I began to get on a big soapbox and preach to her about the dangers of dating around casually and all the things it can lead to, and really just kind of gave her this fiery, passionate sermon when what I really needed to do was just give her a humble, personal response that would have made a much bigger impact on her life than just preaching at her. I love the statement from St. Francis of Assisi, preach Christ at all times and if necessary, use words. Those words really transformed my approach to confronting sin in other people's lives or speaking of my personal convictions because it helped me realize that my words were not my primary tool for communicating truth truth, my life was my primary tool. Proverbs 17, 27 says that a truly wise person uses few words. Now, of course, there's a time and place for well-chosen words of bold truth, or even for righteous indignation when it comes to defending the name of our king and the truth of his word. But we have to remember that primarily it is not going to be angry or insistent words that are really going to win others to Christ. A compelling argument can never take the place of a consistent example. So as I grew in my spiritual walk and I began to submit this area of my life before God, he began to show me his pattern for communicating truth to others. And it started with my life. He began to teach me that what I needed to be doing was preaching Christ at all times, even without using words. And one of the most important ways we can do that is to start with prayer. Now, often that's not what we want to hear because it doesn't feel action-oriented, and yet prayer is very action-oriented, and it lays the foundation for true life change in others' lives because we're not the ones who can change them. Only the Spirit of God can. A lot of times we feel so strongly about something we see, some error that we see in someone's life, that we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to rush into the situation and use our brilliant debate skills to try to convince someone that they're on the wrong path. But I love what it says in John 5, 14 through 16. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sending a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. So here's a promise from the word of God telling us what the first step is. When we see someone sinning a sin that does not lead to death, we are to ask to go to God and say, Lord, I lay this person before you, this burden that is on my heart, I give it to you and wrestle and fight on behalf of their soul. When we see compromise in someone's life, our response shouldn't just be trying to convince them to change their ways. We should be asking God in faith for that person to be delivered from their sin and set upon the path of life. We are called to have confidence that as God hears us, we can believe that he will not might bring victory into that other person's life through our importunate prayer. 
we want to rush in so often, use our debate skills, try to talk someone into a change of perspective. But again, true heart change can only come from the spirit of God. And as we've said in other episodes, fleshly anger and frustration are only going to get in the way of God's work in that person's life. As it says in James 1.20, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Prayer is a powerful weapon. It is a far more powerful weapon than human words ever will be. So even if the people in your life seem like very tough nuts to crack, even if they seem stubborn, that they're never going to change, remember that they're not above the power of prayer. Another key principle is to live it out. So starting with prayer and secondly, living out a faithful, consistent example. It says in 1 Timothy 4.12, set an example for the believers in speech, in love, in life, in faith, and in purity. If our lives are going to make an impact on others, they can't just hear our words spoken. They can't just hear us talk about our convictions. They need to see our convictions lived out. And in my own life, I've discovered that when I live out a faithful, consistent example of the things I believe by God's grace, people actually seek me out and want me to share my convictions with them. I don't have to force truth on them because they see something in my life that makes them want to know more. So I would encourage you to make it your goal and your prayer to shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever you go and let your words be an outflow of his spirit within you. Follow in the steps of Christ who said, the words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the father abiding in me, he does his works. Many times people observe the consistency of your life and actually come to you with questions about sin, about God, about right and wrong, and that can open amazing doors for you to share truth with him. And then lastly, adopt a humble mindset. It is so critical to have the right attitude. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 3 where it says to be ready to speak about the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. And meekness here means a mildness of disposition, a gentleness of spirit. And fear means reverence or fear of God, which is really the opposite of pride and arrogance. So if we have spiritual pride, no one is going to be responding to truth. When we have spiritual pride and we're arrogant about our opinions, we are standing in the way of the spirit of God drawing that other person to himself. When we have meekness and godly fear, it paves the way for God to really change someone's life. I would encourage you to resist the temptation to just storm out of the room when you see people or Christians be behaving in an ungodly way. Ask God to show you how to be gracious, honorable, meek, and having such a godly fear when you need to withdraw from an activity or when you need to boldly speak the truth that they need to hear. If you speak in the attitude and nature of Christ, if you have humility, it will make a powerful statement to them so much more powerful than criticizing, lecturing, angrily getting in their face, etc. Remember what it says in Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. And that is always a safe path to take, giving a soft answer. There's nothing that we have or see or know when it comes to spiritual things that we did not receive from above. As we said earlier, 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? And Jesus says that on our own, we can do nothing. So it is only by the grace of God that we are where we are today. And remembering that helps us walk in humility. As you fight to see the glory of God return to Christianity, never forget that truth always needs to be delivered in a way that reflects God's nature. 
don't let your quest for discernment or standing for truth turn into a haughty, demeaning attitude toward others because that opens the door for spiritual pride and gets in the way of what God wants to do. No matter how doctrinally sound or intellectually brilliant an idea or thought may be, if it is marked by arrogance and self-seeking, God says it is not of him. In James three fifteen through 16, he says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So as we're growing in godly discernment, we need to be wary of clustering together with believers who maybe are impressive in doctrine, but deficient in gentleness and love. Maybe their arguments are compelling, their grasp of scriptural truth is dazzling, but if they are characterized by an ungracious, cocky attitude towards others. They are not operating in cooperation with the Spirit of God. Beware of having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. As it says in Romans 12 too, it is more than possible to stand firm in your convictions while still exuding the love and the humility of Christ, but it doesn't happen by accident. I would encourage you to go to the Word of God and study the example of Christ, as well as the lives of strong but humble leaders like Moses, David, and Paul. While you are growing in godly discernment, ask God to simultaneously infuse you with his heart, his love, and his burden for those who are lost and those who are compromising. Unless you're operating in his attitude of love and grace, your zeal and passion for truth will be completely ineffective and empty, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So by God's grace, let's aim to become peacemakers and not potsters in the body of Christ today. Let's stand boldly for truth. Let's protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's recognize lies and errors for what they are. But at the same time, let's guard our hearts against spiritual pride and allow God to infuse us with his humility. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, visit us at setapart.org and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.